0: I invite you guys now to take a Bible to open it to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. Testing one, two, three. All right. If I switch my microphone... Forgive me, but I think we're working. All right, Psalm 46. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God There, there are a few pretty profound contrasts in this very short psalm. And the first one contrasts God's grandeur and his glory with also his nearness and his proximity to each and every one of us. And I say those are contrasts because in our lives, often... Uh, as somebody grows in authority or power, reaches the status of the head of a company or the head of a nation or something, usually as as we think of somebody having a lot of power, there are very, very few people then that have proximity and a sense of closeness to that person. So that in our normal experience, we, we view those things as intention with each other that the greater somebody is or the greater authority they have the less opportunity we have to actually get to know them or to feel that we're known by them uh, but all throughout the scripture these things are affirmed as things that go together and so this is repeated in a couple of ways uh, in this psalm but he is highlighting the power and the presence of God the power and the presence of God we see it in verse one God is our refuge and our strength He's, He's powerful, but he's also a very present help in trouble. And then two times when it's repeated in verse 7 and verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. It's again highlighting the power in the presence. The Lord of hosts. The Lord who oversees all the heavenly hosts, the divine council, all the angels, they're all at his command. He, he, he rules over all of them. He's the Lord of them. He is also with us. The Lord over all, over nations, over kingdoms, over history. He is the true and real Lord, the sovereign one over them. But the psalmist is reiterating that he is with us. So even hundreds of years before the coming of our Savior, where we would say God is with us in Emmanuel, in Jesus, uh, made flesh to be among us, that that Jesus came because that was the pattern of God all throughout history. He wasn't doing something he had never thought of before, Jesus, sending Jesus into the world. He was acting consistently with his character from the beginning that when he made the Garden of Eden, he created Adam and Eve and put him in it. He had all that power to make a universe, and he desired in the making of that universe to have a relationship with his creation, that he made us in his image so that we could know him, so that we could have fellowship with him, that it says in the early chapters of Genesis that he walked among them in the cool of the day. And so these two ideas aren't in... In in conflict with one another, even though we can contrast them, that he is powerful, but he's also present. He's not only great, he's also good. And this is what we're reminded of by the psalmist, when we think of God, to not diminish one or the other, and to not uh, think of of only one, that he is equally powerful and also present. And that for those of us who are his children, that we should find that a sense of, of comfort that every good thing about him is accessible to us, that we can draw upon that. We can come to him in prayer, acknowledging his power, acknowledging his glory, acknowledging his sovereignty over all the earth. Uh, We can rely upon that. The next two things that, again, throughout Scripture are regularly put together, but sometimes in our minds uh, uh, they can be in conflict, are the judgment and the salvation of God. So there's the power and the presence of God. And there's also his acts of judgment and salvation. That God is revealing who he is and revealing his power and his presence in both things. And sometimes he reveals that through judgment. And so the psalmist is open. We will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, Though the mountains tremble at its swelling. This is a a description of what we would almost experience from our vantage point is chaos. Oh my goodness, everything's falling apart. (laughs) It seems like the judgment of God upon the earth is being unleashed, His wrath is being poured out, that things that look stable and strong are melting before Him. The psalmist is saying God is revealing both His power and His presence in that judgment, that he is holy, that he does carry out judgment against sin, whether that's individual sin or national sin. As the one who's sovereign over it all, he acts according to his character, and when we rebel against him, he acts in judgment. The next section, verses 4 through 7, gives a picture of a bit of restoration and healing there is a river whose stream make glad the city of god the holy habitation of the most high god is in the midst and she shall not be moved and god will help her when the morning dawns and then later on describing that he will make the wars cease to the end of the earth he will break the bow and shatter the spear all of this is describing god's salvation of his people that he will cause their enemies to cease and that they will find refuge. And so there's both judgment and salvation, that God is sovereign equally over both. And we we do well, again, not to minimize one or the other. If we think of him as only acting uh, in times of salvation, when days are good, as Michael even was saying this morning, we might have had a really hard week or a really good one, but do we believe that we can worship him in spite of whatever we've gone through, well, that reflects what the psalmist is saying. Like, if this week for you has felt a little bit more like the foundations of the earth are giving way, you see things that seem solid and strong crumbling and fragile, you can still be still and know that He is God. Or if you've experienced a bit of the sweetness of the river of life coming into your life, bringing healing and restoration to things that are broken seeing relationships mended that you thought maybe were lost forever and and you're experiencing the joy and the the goodness of that, you can also be still and know that he is God because he is the sovereign one who rules both in judgment and salvation. And not only does he rule when both of these are happening uh, at different points in time, but he reveals just how powerful he is when he can actually uh, rule as this is happening at the same time so that when we think of the person of Jesus as he came that it was while God's judgment was being poured out on him that his salvation was made possible for the world and so those two things were happening in this very same event God's judgment against sin was being poured out on our savior at the cross And that's when we see sin in all of its ugliness, that it really is that bad, it's that terrible, that the Son of God would have to die for our sins. But it was that very act of judgment that becomes the good news that we tell the world that anyone and everyone can come to Him. Of every tribe, tongue, and nation, they can experience the salvation of our God because He has judged our sin once and for all, on the cross who, who else can do that <laughs> it's hard enough to think of doing those two things at different points in time let alone that our God at one and the same time can be sovereign over both of those realities but that is our hope that's why we regularly celebrate communion and remember his shed blood and his broken body for us not to continually mourn what happened but to be amazed that in the worst of circumstances in the in the harshest display of judgment, that we find grace and mercy, we find hope for the future, uh, not only for us but for all who would come to faith in Him. And all of this is affirmed in this very short psalm, just a few verses, but highlighting God's power and presence, His judgment and His salvation. But then one of the refrains in verse 7 and 11 is also to then magnify his grace. So verse 7 and 11 say, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And then it's repeated exactly as a point of emphasis. Now, If you're familiar with your Bibles, you know at times that God is referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that points back to each of their stories and the promises that God made. But here, in just a few other places, there are times where the emphasis is the God of Jacob. Other times, there's a reference to the God of Israel, which is what Jacob's name was changed to. And all of them provide an opportunity for us to look back on his story and think of what is being said about God as this is the name that's being given to him. But here, the emphasis, repeated for us, is that the God of Jacob is our fortress, and if you're not familiar with his story, uh, I reread most of his story this week, uh, though I, I am familiar with it. It's always just amazing when you read something again, just like if you watch a movie a second time and you realize how much you missed the first time you watch a movie. Uh, reading is like that times 10. And we get to see the grace of God to behold and be still when we look back on Jacob's life and realize that Jacob's life was profoundly challenging that there was a lot of family conflict that was going on that he was a twin uh, that before he was even born he was the younger of the two God had revealed to his mother that though he was the younger and therefore not the natural uh, one to to earn the birthright that he would be given it by grace that the older would actually serve the younger And then that reality, though, created conflict within the family so that as his father was about to pass away, his mom with him thinks of a way to try to get his father to bless him instead of his brother, which might have been well-intentioned, consistent with what had been prophesied over him, but what it meant in Jacob's life was that he had to deceive his father to get the blessing. And then once he got it, His brother was so angry at him that the Cain and Abel story almost repeated itself. His brother Esau was so angry at him that he said, I'm just going to simply wait to honor the reality of our father's passing. And then the first chance I have, I'm going to go after my brother Jacob. And Jacob, learning that, is told, You got to get out of here, you got to flee. Home is not safe for you. You need to end up in a totally different place. And so I invite you to take a Bible to Genesis chapter 28, where while Jacob is leaving, he then is given a promise. This is in Genesis chapter 28, beginning in verse 10. This is on page 21. Genesis chapter 28, beginning in verse 10. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. Then Jacob awoke from the sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! There is none other than the this is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar, and poured oil on the top of it, and he called the name of that place Bethel. And so here was Jacob in a very hard Time in his life. Leaving everything that would have been familiar to him in his homeland. Unsure of what the future before him would be. Simply taking the time in his humanity like all of us to lay down, be still, and rest. And God meets him. And gives to him a promise by his grace that he's going to do way more in his life than he ever could have imagined. And God's going to give him by grace what Jacob, even by his uh, planning and scheming, could not make possible for himself. And then you read the story, and it's not that life gets easier for Jacob. It's not that it gets less complicated. It gets really complicated with his father-in-law. He marries the wrong woman that he wasn't expecting, that he worked hard for. And then as he grows in his own career and his wealth and prosperity, there becomes a conflict with his father-in-law and he is told to go back to the land of Israel. And later on, he's coming back and one of his biggest concerns, even though many, many years have passed, is what's gonna happen when he meets Esau. And as he's coming back to meet his brother, his brother, it's, it's told to him, is coming with 400 men to meet him and he's scared he's nervous even though time has passed his expectation is oh no he's still in trouble he's still gonna have to face the consequence of his sins but he could not possibly imagine that just as God had been doing a work in his heart God had been doing a work in Esau's heart and that both of them now have more than they need and so they no longer have to fight with each other over who gets what. And it becomes this amazing back and forth where Jacob wants to give a, a sacrifice and a blessing to his brother, but his brother's saying, No, 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 I don't need it. No, just keep it. I, I have more than enough. What we were so angry about, what we fought over for so much, God has done more in both of our lives to prove himself faithful for all of our needs. And in this amazing way, both of them realizing they don't need what each other has. They need God and God alone. And God will provide for everything they need. That's what it means that the God of Jacob is our fortress. But then again, later in his life, he would be tested with this again. So he had to flee at one point in time because his brother was so angry. He also knew what it was like to lose a child. His youngest, who he had, a, not his youngest, but one of his younger children, who he had a, a tremendously a dear place to his heart, and who he thought then was gone forever. And many years passed that he grieved the loss of Joseph. Until one day he found out that Joseph was still alive, that he was in Egypt, that he had risen into command and to power, And that through his son Joseph, who he thought was gone, he would actually have an opportunity to address the Pharaoh of Egypt and see in a completely new country that his son had risen to power and to prestige and authority and had access and proximity to the ruler of the empire. And Jacob got to experience that restoration, that, that river restoring what had been lost. But then Jacob also, in that moment, in his final moments of life, still showed that he believed that God would keep the promises that he had made to him. And so he said to his son Joseph, even when I die, and when I'm as still as still can be, don't bury me here. Take my bones and bury them in israel where god has promised this land to me and to all the generations that will come after me so before he was came out of his mother's womb there was god's plan and purpose for him and in the course of his life he came to experience it in such a way that he knew it would even transcend his life that even after he was gone he could be a living testimony the power and presence of God his judgment and his salvation that when he pours out his grace it is something to behold and to be still and rest in to trust in and so that's how this Psalm 46 invites us in all of our various circumstances to know that the Lord of hosts is with us and the God of Jacob is our fortress Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we are thankful that in such a brief psalm, there is such a powerful reminder of what you are capable of. That all the the challenges for us in the limitations of our time and our effort and our energy are not limitations for you that when we're torn in multiple directions, you are united and one in your purposes for this world. We thank you that you are the Lord of hosts, that you command the angel armies, and we are thankful that you also know each and every one of our names, that you fashioned us in our mother's womb, that you know what the number of our days will be, and you know what the days will look like when we are no more. And so we pray that you would help us to continue to rely upon you. That even when the earth gives way and the foundations around us crumble, that we would be those who are not afraid because we have found you to be our refuge and our strength. Thank you for being our very present help in our times of need. Lord, help us not to look to anyone else for help, to trust in any other thing, save you and you alone. It's in your name we pray. Amen.